As we begin our time this morning, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that we can open your word together, that we can understand what you tell us because you have given us your spirit. We thank you that through Jesus Christ, we have the ability to even talk to you and you do not see us as sinners. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can be a part of your family. And so this morning, as we open your word together, Lord, we ask that we would see Christ. That we would reflect upon your son, that we would know in a more intimate way the reality of salvation in him and all that that means for us. We pray that those who are with us who do not know Jesus Christ would walk out of these doors this morning at some point knowing you. So open our eyes, open our hearts to understand all that you have for us this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Well, take your Bibles this morning and open them to John chapter 20. In our early service this morning, we were speaking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and all that was accomplished there. And I was telling some men this morning, I saw a clip from Dr. Alistair Begg as he was preaching recently about salvation and all that goes on and the scene that he was talking about was the reality of the thief on the cross being in the glories of heaven. The thief on the cross was asked by one of the angels there, on what basis are you here? On what basis are you here in heaven? Well, the thief on the cross could say, was, I, I, I can't answer the question. I, I don't know. Which shocked the angel. The angel said, well, well hold on a minute. Let me, let me get my supervisor, angel. <laughs> Brings over supervisor angel and says, okay, on what basis are you here? And the guy says, I don't know. And he says, well, maybe, maybe you can help. Maybe I can help you and we can talk about the doctrine of justification. Do you understand the doctrine of justification by faith alone? And the guy says, I, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. No one ever talked to me about justification by faith alone. Okay, well, maybe we can talk about the Scriptures and, and the fact that the Scriptures are the Word of God, the authoritative Word of God, and that all that is in there is true, and, and we can talk about that. And I don't know what you're talking about. No one ever talked to me about that. On what basis are you here in heaven then? What basis did you get here? He says, I, I don't know. I, I, all I know is the guy on the middle cross said I could come. <laughs> Isn't that the reality, right? That's the reality of anybody who knows Jesus Christ. We, we, we don't always understand all the nuances that we find in Scripture and can't explain everything, just like the man who was blind in John chapter 9, and the Pharisees are questioning him about how he can see now, and he says, I, I don't know all of these things. You're the theologians. You're the ones who understand those things. All I know is I was blind, and now I see, and Jesus did it. Alistair's point was simply this. If we base our salvation on something we did, we're wrong. 
On what basis do we get to glory? It's not because I believed. It's not because I have faith. It's not because I did something. It's because the man on the middle cross said we could come. That's all that was taking place at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He was paying the price so that we could say what the man said who hung next to him, who simply said, I don't deserve to be where you are. I want to begin our time this morning in John chapter 20. Next few days after the crucifixion. And I want to read for us just verses 1 through 10. And then spend a little time there thinking about what took place. John says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter came to the tomb first. Stooping, looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Simon Peter, therefore, also came following him and entered the tomb, and he beheld the linen wrappings lying there, the faith cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And so the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered then also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And so the disciples went away again to their own homes. You may be being here this morning and you may have thought about the resurrection and maybe you are even here wondering if all of this is even true. It's easy to believe that a man was killed, That a man died at the hands of other men, was nailed to a cross, he was a real man, he went through real sufferings, and it was a real challenge, and that it was a real event in history whereby he actually died. But then you hear about the other parts of the event, and you wonder, is that really true? Here we are, hearing about a body who was laid in a grave, and yet the grave is no longer filled. And so we read here in John 20 the obvious. This is the pinnacle of the salvation that God has provided through His Son to all who would believe. This is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And just to remind us of the importance of this event, here is what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church. Tim read portions of this this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can turn there if you'd like. I just want to read a bit of it. The Apostle Paul said, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. I want to tell you about the good news which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, and by which also you are saved. You notice it is the gospel that ushers the believer into that eternal security at which we find taking place the resurrection in John chapter 20. Paul says, this is the good news. I preached it to you, you received it, you stand in it, and you are saved by it. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless, unless you believed in vain, unless your belief was just worthless, because I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve, and after that He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, as it were, to one untimely born, He also appeared to me. I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not fit to even be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it is I or they, we preach, and you believe. And if Christ is preached, that He has been raised from the dead, let me, let me say that in a different way. We preach Christ, and if Christ is preached that the resurrection actually happened, that the resurrection is actually factual, then how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? How is it that there are people who doubt the resurrection? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised, whom we preach. And if Christ has not been raised, whom we preach, then our preaching is in vain. And guess what? Your belief, your faith is also worthless. If we preach Christ, if we preach the resurrection, and it hasn't happened, then we are found to be false witnesses of God because we witness against God that He did raise Christ from the dead who He did not raise if Christ has not been raised from the dead. But if the dead aren't raised, in other words, if, if our resurrection isn't going to happen because the dead are not raised, there's the implication. If, if we aren't going to be raised from the dead, then Christ certainly isn't even going to be raised from the dead, verse 16. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is worthless. And guess what? Sad day of all sad days. Why in the world do we worship the resurrection when we're still in our sins? We've hoped in Christ in only this life. 
and just pity us because that's all that we get from it. We of all men are most to be pitied. What is Paul saying? The Apostle Paul is simply saying this, there are some severe consequences if the resurrection didn't happen. There are some severe eternal consequences, and sadly, many believe that it didn't. Even in Jesus' day, the religious leaders called the Sadducees didn't believe the resurrection happened. Many throughout history have followed in their steps. And the common excuse is simply this. Show me proof. Show me proof. Proof. Proof is a big issue. Proof is an issue we face on a regular basis in our life. We desire proof for all kinds of things. None of us would fly in an airplane if we didn't see a plane fly. We want proof. We would not drive, particularly on the other side of a road with simply two little yellow painted lines on the ground, proof that the other car would not drive in our way and thereby take us out, or we would not drive in their way and take them out. We eat foods, we take medicines, we trust any number of things without them being proven to us at all. And yet, there are many who look at the accounting of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and they say, give me proof. Even the disciples wanted proof. Even after Jesus had been killed and rose from the dead, Thomas himself says, I want proof. Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas says what all the disciples in some sense most likely were thinking, I want proof. And here we are reading this account, and guess what? God is giving us proof. In fact, Acts chapter 1 says that Jesus gave many confirming proofs. Acts chapter 1 verse 3. He gave many convincing proofs. The word there is is the word in the original language that means a sure fixed sign. He gave many sure fixed certainties, infallible proofs of his resurrection. He gave undeniable proof that he was alive. That he has the power over death, that he is controlling all of the events. He is even the one raising himself from the dead. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So let's not begin to think there is no proof. Let's begin to look at this central event together 
so that we can go away from here not simply believing, but solidified in our belief of the resurrection. Chapter 20 and verse 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. First question ought to come to our mind is why? Why was Mary even going to the tomb? That would be like us going to the cemetery the day after or two days after somebody had already been buried and put in the vault in the ground and covered up. Why would someone go to the tomb? Well, she came back to the tomb in order to finish what was a hurried burial just days before that. Of course, the Jews had hurried the crucifixion of Jesus Christ because they needed to accomplish it before the Sabbath started. No work was to be done on the Sabbath. And so the day that Jesus was buried, his burial preparation was done very quickly by Joseph and Nicodemus. Why? Because the Sabbath was approaching. And so Mary is coming to finish ostensibly that anointing that would have been done prior, but not now allowed because of the Sabbath. So she had to wait until Sunday morning, Lord's Day morning, the first day of the week. That's why John says that now on the first of the week, the first day of the week. That's how the ancient Jews counted days. We've named our days Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, throughout the week. Jews didn't name their days that way. Their names were just the, the weekdays were just numbered. This is the first day of the week. The Sabbath was on the last day of the week. So their days were counted from sunset to sunset. The Sabbath started at dusk on Friday. It ended at dusk on Saturday. And once the Sabbath was over, you could go about doing your business. I remember when my wife and I were in Israel back in the year 2000, and we watched it happen downtown Israel. All the shops would be closed from Friday night to Saturday night, and at 6 o'clock on Saturday night, the people are waiting outside the stores, and at 6 o'clock, ding, the clock struck. All the things went up, and the people just went about their business. The Sabbath had ended. And so here's the scene. Mary Magdalene and as we will see in a minute, Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved, whom we know is John, that's how he identifies himself, they're both evidently at the tomb in the morning of the resurrection. The first time Mary's going to the tomb was a short time before any of her companions went to the tomb that we read about, the other Mary and Salome, as Matthew 28 verse 1 says. And she sees that the stone has been removed. And so she returns to inform Peter and John. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And she said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. In the meantime, the other Mary and Salome come to the tomb this is in the other gospel accounts, and, and they see the angels. You can read about that in Matthew and Mark. 
And while these two women return to the city after seeing the angels, Peter and John head to the tomb, obviously not seeing these two women who were traveling away from the tomb and maybe even took a different route. Peter and John are followed then by Mary, who stays behind after they leave. Now, that doesn't offer us much proof, right? That doesn't offer us proof of the resurrection. All we currently know, at least up to this point in John's gospel, is that the tomb is empty. That's all we know. The body is gone. That's circumstantial proof at best, but it is still a reality. The body is gone. Mary has seen that the tomb is open. She hasn't gone into the tomb yet. She wants to get word to the disciples as quickly as possible. The stone's been rolled away. The body must be gone. And so she goes and she tells Peter and John. The text tells us that she ran to them. She says they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they laid him. So there's a dilemma for Mary. She can't do what she needs to do. She can't do what she came to do. What she desired to do cannot be done. She's frightened. Somebody has come and somebody has taken the body of her Lord. Maybe it was the Jews in her mind. Maybe she thought that. Maybe they had stolen the body to to carry out some deceptive plan in their own reasoning. And possibly that would make sense since they were worried that the disciples, those who had killed Christ, were worried that the disciples would do that, that they would pull off some kind of scheme, that they would hide the body of Jesus, the dead body of Jesus, in order to perpetuate a myth about the resurrection. They would stage a so-called resurrection, although nobody could see the body. Or maybe the Romans had stolen his body because, because of the thought that he ought to be discarded just like any other criminal they dealt with. Why should he, of all people, be put in a grave? And so at this point, all Mary knows and all she thinks is that the body has been taken. That's all she knows. They've taken our Lord away from the tomb. And so therefore, Peter and John, the other disciples, run to the tomb. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and they were going to the tomb. It's early in the morning. It's before the sun has even risen. It's dark. They run to the tomb together. Obviously, Peter's a little bit faster in his sandals than John is. He comes to the tomb first, stoops in, looks down, sees the linen wrappings lying there, doesn't go in. Simon Peter, therefore, comes along following, enters the tomb, and he sees the linen wrappings lying there. Now we can see what's happening. John gets there first, looks in, doesn't go in. He sees the linens. Now, Pilate had dispatched guards to the tomb after the death of Jesus. The other gospel writers tell us that there were Roman soldiers guarding the tomb. It was sealed with a Roman seal because of the 
concocted idea that the Jews might come or that some of the disciples might come and steal the body and perpetuate this plan of a resurrection. And so Pilate listens to the Jewish ruler, sends soldiers to be there, and even seals the tomb with a, an official seal. So if it was open, the official closure seal would certainly be broken, and therefore they would know that something happened. But now, all of a sudden, the soldiers around are either shockingly stunned and aren't there anymore, the stone's been rolled away, the, steel, the seal on the stone obviously has been broken, and the body is gone. More importantly, anybody who is going to steal the body from the tomb doesn't take the time in the tomb to unwrap the body and leave the wrappings behind. Hey, let's go steal the body of Jesus. Okay, how are we going to get past those soldiers? Well, we'll think about that in a moment. We haven't worked that part out. These are Roman soldiers. We'll, we'll think about that. But once we get there, we're going to take the body, but we're going to take it, we're going to unwrap it inside the tomb, and we're going to leave that stuff, and we're going to take the body with us. No, that's illogical. That's nonsense. They would have taken the body completely as it was. They would have taken it wrapped up, and they would have left in haste. And curious enough, verse 6 and 7 reveal to us that when Peter and John enter the tomb, not only do they see the wrappings, but the one that was on Jesus' head is rolled up by itself, placed in an entirely other spot. John looks in, Doesn't go in, sees that the tomb is empty. Peter gets there, stoops in, looks in. He saw the linen wrappings lying there. He didn't go in. Simon Peter, therefore, came following him, entered the tomb, and beheld the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head lying not with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. In other words, the face cloth is in a completely different area. Why would someone unwrap a dead body and fold up the wrappings? The, lying, the, the wrappings are lying there as if Jesus passed right through them. And then, as if he took what was on his head, rolls it up, and puts it in a separate place. In other words... Right here, right before our eyes, just in only those details, we have undeniable proof of the resurrection. Undeniable. You say, how so? Well, notice, Peter must have called out to John, because John's still outside the tomb before he goes in. And verse 8 says, so the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered then also, and he saw and believed. John saw and believed. What did he believe? What did he believe? You just believe the body wasn't there? That'd be easy enough to believe without going in. 
Mary had told him the body's gone. Peter could have said, hey, yep, he's not in here. John didn't have to go in to believe the body was gone. So it isn't simply that, oh yeah, Jesus is gone. He sees the face cloth. He sees the wrappings lying there. He sees that rolled up in a place by itself. He sees all of that and he believes. This is why John writes what he writes in this gospel. This is why just a few verses from this very moment, John gives us the very purpose as to why he puts it all here, so that we might believe. What did John believe? Well, at least on a very academic and surface level, he first believed what Mary had said to him and to Peter earlier. What? The body is gone. He believed that. We don't know what's happened to him. That's what she said. Still dark, she comes from the tomb. They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. He certainly believes that now. The body is gone. It's not there. That was now undeniable to John. Jesus is gone. So at the very least, he now has proof of that. But he also believed it couldn't simply be a grave robbery. Why? Because grave robbers would have taken the body intact. Grave robbers wouldn't have spent their time undoing the body. That made no sense. They were grave robbers. Grave robbers don't like to spend a lot of time robbing. No thief likes to spend a lot of time in the place they are stealing. They want to get in and get out. And so, for a grave robber to take the time to do that was simply illogical. And if, for some strange reason, they had, in fact, unwrapped the body, if it was grave robbers that did this, they certainly wouldn't have rolled it up and placed them in different places. They wouldn't have left one in one place, rolled it up, and tossed it in the corner, and there's the head covering by itself in another place. So at the very least, he believed what Mary said, Jesus is gone, and he believed that it couldn't be explained by robbery. But most importantly, most importantly, thirdly, he believed that something supernatural had taken place. Can I say this morning to all of us here, You will never believe in the resurrection. You will never believe in Jesus Christ. You will never believe in creation itself unless you believe first in the supernatural. Without the supernatural, none of this is possible. Why? Because this is not humanly driven. Something supernatural had happened, and John believed that. Why? Because nothing else could explain the disappearance, guess what, of the Roman soldiers. Nothing could explain why they were gone. You say, really? Yeah, who got by them? 
These were Roman soldiers. These were men trained to do what they were commanded to do upon fear of being killed for not doing what they were commanded to do. Desertion in the Roman army was a small, small thing. Certainly the Roman soldiers would not have abandoned their posts unless it was a compelling reason or they were ordered to do so. And the only thing that could have moved these men to go from their post knowing that they were not ordered to do so would have been a supernatural event. But John believed something supernatural had happened. And on top of that, who could physically roll the stone away? Who could physically do that? Who came and broke the seal? Well, guess what? The Scriptures give us the answer to both of those questions. Matthew chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold... (laughs) I love that. The scriptures are so unassuming. Behold. That's like, amazingly, amazingly, guess what? A severe earthquake had occurred. What a coincidence. Why was there an earthquake? Because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. So what happened to the Roman soldiers? The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. I love that scene. The living became like dead, and the dead became alive. They were out of their realm. We read that and we go, oh, okay, now we understand. Now we get it. It was a supernatural event. Nothing else could have explained what had happened. The angel said to the woman, verse 5, do not be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been past tense crucified He is not here, present tense, he's gone. Yeah, I know that, the tomb is empty. He's gone, why? Because he has risen. In other words, he's already risen from the dead. Why? Because he said he was going to. It was just as he said. Wait a minute. Proof of the resurrection is born in the reality of not the event happening itself. Yes, it happened itself, and yes, it's all true, but proof of the resurrection is born in the reality is simply this, that Jesus said it was going to happen. Proof of the resurrection is born in the reality that he who is supernatural said it will happen. Matthew 28, verse 6, just as he said, come See the place where he was lying. Past tense. There he was. He's not there anymore. 
Don't stand here with your jaw on the floor. Don't stand here going, wow, this really happened. Wow, look at that. That's really cool. Hey, by the way, you're really bright, man. That's really neat. I'd like to just stay here and look at you because you're a supernatural being. No. He says, don't stand here and do that. Go. Go and what? Go quickly. Well, I bet you that was the fastest time they've ever ran. Go quickly and tell his disciples what? That he has risen from the dead. And what's he going to do? He's going to go ahead of them into Galilee. And there they'll see him. The angel says to those women, listen, you can believe this. You can absolutely believe this. You know why? I love this. Not because you've seen it. Not because I showed you he's not here. Not because the linens are there. Not because the stone's been rolled away. Not because I'm an angelic being sitting here on this rock and and you've never seen one before and now your eyes have been opened to see me. Not because any of that. He's going to Galilee. He's going ahead of them. You're going to see, they're going to see him there. Why should you believe that? Here's what he says. Because I told you so. Because I have been dispatched from God himself. And this is what God says. You go and you tell others that he's alive and you tell others they're going to see him. Why? Because I said so. I have told you. They left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and they ran to report it to his disciples. I love this. And behold... There it is again, amazingly. This is in Matthew 28. Amazingly, Matthew 28, verse 9. Jesus met them and greeted them. Doesn't tell us what the greeting was. I'm sure it was maybe shalom, peace be with you. I mean, they're already frightened. They have great joy, but they're frightened. I mean, they've just seen an angel, and now now they're going to see a resurrected Jesus. I mean... He probably said, peace be with you. Don't be afraid. And they came up to him and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus says to them, look, don't be afraid. Go. That's exactly what the angel said. Go. Go quickly and tell his disciples. Listen, Jesus says, go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and they'll see me there. In all of those details, beloved, nothing makes sense except one thing. Nothing makes sense except one thing. What? Supernatural resurrection. It was supernatural. Nothing makes sense except the reality that God said it would happen, and it happened. It's a supernatural resurrection And now John knows it, and now he believes it. This is why he writes what he does in verse 9. For as yet, they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Up to that point... 
Up to that point of John looking in and, and believing, up to that point, he and the others didn't understand the Scriptures. He and the others didn't understand what God said. They heard what God said. They, they heard that this would come. They, they heard that this would happen. Jesus had said this would happen. Jesus said this is the reason He came. And yet they had all yet to understand the fullness of what the Scriptures meant by what they said. But now they do. And here's the point. Here's the point. You and I are face to face with the same reality that they were faced with. Here we are this morning. We open the Bible. We open the Scriptures. And we are faced with the same reality that they were faced with when they read the Scriptures, when they heard Jesus speak the words of truth. The issue is this. Are we going to believe what the Bible says? That's the issue. Are we going to believe what the Scriptures say? The Bible declares a supernatural resurrection. So will we believe the Scriptures? John believed Jesus was alive. He believed this was a supernatural happening. He believed it was an actual, real, bodily resurrection. There was no other explanation. And his understanding of the Scriptures was now clear. He had all the physical proof that there is to have. He saw the empty tomb. But it was all, as Paul said to the Corinthians, it was all according to the Scriptures. Paul said, I gave to you what I've known according to the Scriptures. According to what God said. Brothers and sisters, this morning, it was the Scriptures that were fulfilled when they didn't break the legs of Jesus Christ at the crucifixion. It was the Scriptures that were being fulfilled because that is what God said would happen. It was the Scriptures that were being fulfilled the Word of God being seen in actual practice that were being fulfilled when they pierced the side of our crucified Savior. It's the Scriptures, the spoken Word of God from the very mouth of Jesus Himself when they put Him in the grave on Friday so that He would be there three days. The Scriptures were being fulfilled. And it is the Scripture that is fulfilled in the resurrection. It is the Scriptures, the Word of God. We know what Scripture... The Scripture we read this morning, Psalm 16... 
The psalmist said it this way, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. How could he say that? How could the psalmist say that with such confidence? How could the psalmist say in his own heart and his own mind before God as he's, as he's extolling the truth with such a, a sense of confidence? How could he say that? Because you will not abandon my soul to the grave or sheol. Why? Neither will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Why? How could he say that? Because he believed what the Scriptures said. The death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ had never happened yet. And yet he writes in Psalm 16 as if it has happened. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You see, the psalmist in Psalm 16 is giving a prophecy of our resurrection. Why? Because of his resurrection. That's the same thing the Apostle Paul was saying to the Corinthian church. Listen, beloved, we preach Christ and him crucified and him raised from the dead. And if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then guess what that means for us? There is no resurrection for us. Isaiah 53 was read this morning in our early service, speaks about the death of Christ. Isaiah the prophet says, the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, but he will see his offspring. Isaiah the prophet is simply saying this, he will rise again. Hundreds of years before the resurrection ever took place, he will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the treasure with the strong. You cannot do that as a dead man. God's promise that the Messiah would see those who are his and he would be honored and glorified and lifted up and exalted by all who belong to him. John says, now, now I understand what the Scriptures say. Believe the Scriptures. It's about the Scriptures. You want proof of the resurrection? You're holding it in your hand. It's the Scriptures. You have all the proof you ever need. Right there. It's the Scriptures themselves that Jesus uses after his resurrection to prove his resurrection. You say, really? Yeah. Luke chapter 24. Just go there for a moment. Luke chapter 24. We're in Luke in our morning services. Somehow you knew we'd have to go to Luke today. Luke chapter 24, Jesus uses the Scriptures as proof of His resurrection, right? On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing spices. 
which they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened while they were perplexed about this. Behold, two men suddenly stood near them, dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. Remember what he said. Remember, this is Jesus Christ. This is God's Son. This is the Messiah, incarnate God, who is speaking the Word. He's speaking truth. He's speaking the Scriptures. Remember how the Scripture said to you? They remembered his words. And he returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the mother, and Mary, the mother of James, and also another woman with them. They were telling these things to the apostles. And these words appeared to them as nonsense. And they would not believe them. I like the way the scriptures say that because it doesn't say they could not believe. It says they would not believe. It's a conscious choice to reject Jesus Christ. They would not at the moment. But Peter rose, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only. And he went away to his home marveling at that which had happened. And then Luke gives us this little interlude. And behold, (laughs) there it is again. Amazingly, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing... Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. Only imagine. Here they are walking together. Jesus comes up. Hey, what are you guys talking about? Uh, Are you... What do you mean? What are you? Are you the only person around? One of them named Cleopas. Guess who he is? That's the husband of one of the women that went to the tomb. Answered and said, "Are are you the only guy visiting Jerusalem who's unaware of the things that have happened these last few days?" You know how we would have probably said that. Are you clueless? And he said to them, "Well, what are you talking about?" What thing? And he said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who, who was a prophet, he's mighty indeed in word and the sight of God and people. And how the chief priests and our rulers deliver him up to be sentenced to death and crucified him. Ah, man, don't you know that? We're hoping, we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. Besides all of this, the third day since these things happened, We know what he said. We heard what he said. And now it's the third day. 
And, and you know what? Some women came and they, they amazed us. They're talking. They went to the tomb early in the morning. They're talking about all this stuff. They didn't find the body. They came. They said they had seen visions of angels who, who told them that he was alive. Some who were with us ran to the tomb and they, they found it just exactly as the women had said it was. And, but they didn't see him. Jesus says, oh, that's interesting. No, he didn't say that. No, he says, oh, you foolish men, slow of heart to what? To believe. In what? Oh, you're slow of heart. You didn't believe the resurrection really was going to take place, that all that was true. The women are just telling stories, fanciful things, that they're trying to get some attention for themselves. You don't believe. He doesn't say that. You foolish men, slow of heart to believe in what? In all that the prophets have spoken. You want proof of what's taking place? You don't need women to tell you the story. You don't even need to see an empty tomb. All you need is the Scriptures. You don't believe what the prophets said. Wasn't it necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into His glory? Isn't that what the prophet said? Isn't that what they said was going to happen when the Messiah come? That He would come, that He would be killed, that He would be, have to go through certain things to enter into His glory? Isn't that what it said? And they're sitting there now as Jesus is lecturing them, as shocked as they were, Now they're sitting there going, who is this guy? And he begins with Moses and with all the prophets. He goes back to the Old Testament and he explains to them the things concerning himself in what? In all the scriptures. He gives them a theological schooling right there on the road I don't know how fast they were walking, seven-mile trip to Emmaus. I'm not sure how far they were outside Jerusalem at the time. But it was a long message. Jesus preached for somewhere between one and six miles. And they urged him saying, stay with us. For it's getting toward evening, and the day is now laying over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them and took bread and blessed it, bingo, their eyes are opened, they recognize him, and whoosh, he's gone. And so what do they do? They say to one another, are not our hearts burning within us when he was speaking to us on the road? And he's saying he was explaining the scriptures to us. He's giving us the proof of all of these things in his word. They arise that very hour. And they run a 10K back to Jerusalem. They tell the 11, the Lord has really risen. Listen, guys, believe us. Okay, yeah, you thought the women were foolish. We all did. But listen, we, we've had something happen. He has really risen. 
And he began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. And as they're doing that, guess what happened? Jesus stands in their place. Stands in their midst. I don't know how he got in there. I don't know if he dematerialized the door. The door certainly would have been locked. They would have been scared. Did he demoleculize his body and it's resurrected? We don't know. The scriptures don't tell us. All we can do is speculate about that kind of thing. The fact of the matter is he was there. And they were startled and frightened. Absolutely. They thought they were seeing a spirit. Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? He's saying to them, listen, don't doubt the scriptures. Don't doubt what they say. You want proof? You want proof of the resurrection? You want proof of things that happened 2,000 plus years ago? Things that happened way back at the beginning of time when God said, let there be light? You want proof that the world was flooded? You want proof of all that? Listen, you don't need a bunch of evidence. What you need to believe is the Scriptures. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Don't have doubts arise in your hearts. Look at, see my hands, see my feet? Touch me. I'm not a spirit. And while they still could, verse 41, not believe for joy and were marveling, he said to them, give me something to eat. So he eats and says to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you. These are the words I spoke to you. That all things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand what? The Scriptures. The Scriptures. Go back to John 20. Verse 10 says, the disciples went away again to their homes. That doesn't mean their homes in Galilee at that moment. That means the upper room where we just saw Jesus in Luke 24 meet all of them. It was night. They're gathering together. Jesus shows up. Now their belief is sight. The question this morning for us is, what about us? What is our view of Jesus Christ? We have the old, we have the new testaments. You hold in your hands the evidence of the resurrection. We have seen how Jesus is in charge of all of it. Now these things are written so that we can know the truth, so that we can believe the truth. Jesus says in John 17, Father, your word is truth. We have the truth. And by believing, we might have eternal life. So, beloved, the resurrection is about salvation. It's about knowing Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Saved from what? 
Saved from what? From the penalty of our own rejection of the truth about Christ. From its consequences. From the penalty of sin, which ushers us into an eternal hell and judgment before God, we must believe. We must repent of our sin and believe what the Scriptures say about Christ. That's what the resurrection's all about. Believing upon Jesus Christ, turning from our rejection of the truth and embracing a risen Savior. Why? Because that's what the Scriptures say. The resurrection did happen. You know how I know that? Because the Scriptures declare it. And therefore, because the Scriptures declare it, we must believe it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the authority of your word. We thank you that the scriptures declare who you are. We thank you that the scriptures declare and reveal exactly who we are in our condition before a holy God. And that what it says about us is that we deserve death. Separation from you. And yet the Scriptures declare that if we would believe upon your Son, we would have life. That if we would acknowledge our sin before you, confess our sins, that you would forgive us our sins. That if we would turn from our wickedness, that if we would repent and believe upon Jesus Christ, that we would have life in Christ. That our security and our hope and our eternal reality would all be secure in your Son, Jesus Christ. Not because of something we did, but because of everything He is and what He has done. So we're here this morning to proclaim the truth about Him that the only reason any of us would ever enter into your kingdom on what basis we might come is simply because Jesus Christ said we could come. We know that in the Scriptures. So we thank you for giving us your word, causing us even to believe, opening our eyes. Lord, I pray, I plead with you this morning. On behalf of your Son, Jesus Christ, in His name, that you, by your Spirit, would challenge the hearts of the wicked in our midst who do not want to believe, that you would open their eyes and cause the scales of spiritual blindness to fall from them, and that they would turn from their sin, and know true rejoicing in life. Give them life this day, as you have given life to all who have believed upon your Son. Well, thank you for all eternity. For it is in our precious Savior's name that we pray. All God's people said,